And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hello, I'm Matt Orsat, Senior Director of Capital Markets Policy, CFA Institute. Welcome to the Sustainability Story, a podcast hosted by CFA Institute, where we talk to thought leaders in the ESG and sustainable investor world to help investors understand the world of environmental, social, and governance investment and analysis. Our guest today is Michael Aslin, CEO and Co-Portfolio Manager at Carbon Cap Management. Mike is a Senior Investment Professional with 25 years of industry experience including the founding growth and sale of a regulated investment management business to a public company. Since the beginning of 2018, he has been researching climate change and environmental investments and has focused his research on carbon pricing and emissions trading systems, or ETSs. Michael has completed several executive education courses on climate change, including the highly acclaimed program at LSE's Grantham Research Institute. Michael holds a Sloan Master's Degree in Leadership and Strategy from London Business School and is both a chartered alternative investment analyst, and a certified financial planner. Mike is a regular speaker at investment conferences and has been a guest lecturer at the graduate degree program at the London Business School for more than 15 years. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Good to see you again. Nice to be here, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Not a problem. Not a problem. We're, we're, we're happy to have you. To start off, I just wanted to kind of have a a good framing device for our audience about the topic. You know, what is the kind of a f one fact or figure that they should kind of think about or understand to help frame this issue? Yeah, I think when, when we're talking about climate change, um, one would want to look at it from the broadest macro perspective, which is um, we're emitting 40 to 50 billion tons into the atmosphere that has accumulated to 415 parts per million. And we're now realizing that this is uh, presenting an existential threat um, to our way of life um, if we do not halt and reduce emissions. And, and therefore, in a market-based economy, one would, uh, one would seek um, to look at the main levers of supply, demand, and price. And, and that's why we believe that carbon pricing, put a, putting a price on carbon emissions, is so crucially important to address this issue, not only at the scale required, but also within the remaining time we have left. All right, now backing up a little bit, talking about where we've been, where we are, and where, we go, where we're going with carbon markets uh, and carbon as an asset. You know, can, you, can you help us understand a little bit of the history of the, the, the then, now, and the tomorrow? Sure, I, I, think, I think again, you know, the, the fundamental principle um, of a carbon market, like, like all carbon markets, is the market asks, uh, <clears throat> serves a purpose as a risk transfer mechanism. And in this case, it's a, it's a me mechanism where we want to harness the free power of the market 
to achieve an objective, in this case, an environmental objective at the lowest possible cost. And indeed, if, if one you know, is familiar with the academic literature on the, on the functioning um, and the efficient functioning of markets, the things that are required there are, of course, liquidity, price discovery, a certain amount of, of regulatory infrastructure. So in carbon markets, we have had um, you know, the beginning of carbon markets probably about 25 years ago with the first voluntary carbon project. So that is where a carbon credit or offset would be derived from some type of carbon process. So perhaps uh, planting trees and trees, of course, uh, capture carbon, and then you would be able to monetize that benefit to society by selling some credits that were equal to the amount of carbon that was sequestered. So that was the early uh, thought of harnessing a market-based mechanism. Um, and then we moved on into the, um, the compliance carbon markets, which are um, more regulatory driven. And, and those are where you know, we spend most of our time today. Okay, before we get, we wanna talk about those compliance carbon markets, but before we get to that, uh, talking up top, you mentioned uh, parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, and I've, you know, I started reading about this you know, years ago, and you've been doing this for a long time. But to a lot of our listeners, I don't want to get too wonky in our language about, you know, just tell us what is what does that mean? Four hundred and fifteen parts per million. Where where has that been, and where is it now? Yeah. So, if um, if you look at the, the the published research in this area, you, you can see that really since in, in the last 150 years, um, we've been emitting and now we're emitting in this 40 to 50 billion tons per year. Um, but that the cumulative emissions have increased the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere from about 280 parts per million to 415 parts per million. And um, we understand very well carbon dioxide as a global warming gas. It means it traps uh, infrared. It traps right. heat. Right. And, and th that simply means, you know, higher temperatures and all of the knock-on uh, negative impacts of that, drought, water scarcity, um, um, crop, crop yield reduction, human migration, and, and a whole plethora of very nasty issues associated with it. And, and we're, we're on track. We've, we're going up about a point a year or so. Is, is that correct? That's, a, that's what I remember. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's probably right, and and hopefully we are going to see this uh, this plateau. Right. Uh, but but um, the the big issue, uh, Matt, is you know the Paris Agreement has set this threshold of 1.5 to 2 degrees. Uh, we have already warmed the planet by 1.1 degree, so we have very little um, um, temperature budget right. left to play with, and and that's that's why the time is short. Right. All right, let's get into uh, you know the area of your expertise. Why you have, we have you here today? Compliance carbon markets. How do they function? What's their current state of coverage? So, so a compliance carbon market is um, is set up to to achieve two objectives. The first objective is to cap and lower carbon emissions, and the second objective, very important, is to achieve the first objective at the lowest possible cost to society. That, that second objective is often, often misunderstood and, and not discussed enough, but I believe it's one of the real um, um, benefits of a properly functioning compliance market. Again, can you differentiate a little bit between you know, the compliance markets and how they differ from voluntary markets and, and, and 
the size of each because I think people get confused on those sometimes. Yeah, I think there are three three key parameters that where the markets are very different. So you mentioned size. So the compliance markets um, now cover about 10 billion tons of annual emissions on the planet. Of course, that has increased significantly with the launch this year of the Chinese national carbon market covering 4 billion tons. But, but the market covers globally compliance carbon 10 billion. So it's very large. Last year traded over $300 billion in traded assets. It's very liquid and it's highly regulated. So it's these three components that describe uh, the two markets very differently. The voluntary carbon market is um, in these three categories, very small, $300 million last year. So 1000 times smaller. It's unregulated, broadly speaking, unregulated, and it's illiquid. So it's a, it also has a very important role to play in addressing climate change. Um, it's just one has to be realistic about where the market is and, and where we're going. Right. All right. Thanks for explaining. I think that'll, that'll be helpful to a lot of folks. Your firm, Carbon Cap, treats carbon as an asset. Uh, and increasingly, we're, we're seeing uh, investors around the world interested in carbon as an asset. How does that work? Uh, you know, how do we treat carbon as an asset? What is that market and where, you know, how is it growing? And how are people you know, using carbon as an asset? So, so the background on that, Matt, was uh, after attending the Economics and Governance of Climate Change Program at the Grantham Research Institute um, here in London, I uh, that's where I was first exposed to a cap and trade carbon markets. And at the time, carbon markets globally were trading about half a billion dollars a day. And I thought this was very interesting. I had no idea these markets existed. Um, my first question was, the, what are the statistical properties of carbon, return, volatility, correlation, and the normal things that I'm sure your listeners would, would answer. And um, in, in order to an ask, answer that question, we had to find um, the, the data. And the data on carbon markets does not exist on Bloomberg or DataStream. So I hired a PhD student and the two of us put together a properly constructed total return time series on carbon markets around the world. And then we use that to um, write our academic paper. It's called the Carbon Risk Premium. And of course, the CFA Institute has picked up the key points in, in the CFA case study. And, and the, the observations uh, there in looking at about eight years of data, daily returns across four carbon markets around the world, is that carbon exhibits some, some really unique properties. Uh, the first one was that individual carbon markets, while all covering one ton of the same commodity, CO2, carbon dioxide, they exhibit very low cross-correlation. Now, this was uh, perhaps unexpected in our results, but given that there is no cross-fungibility from one carbon market to another, you, you can understand why there's low correlation. So in a portfolio context, this has big implications that we certainly believe you want to be diversified if you want to own the asset class. And, and broadly speaking, carbon has been going up at about an annualized rate of return of 20% per annum over the last seven to eight years with about a 20% volatility. So it, it's quite vol volatile, but again, it exhibits that very low correlation to equities, bonds, real estate, hedge fund strategies, and therefore it, it may be something to look at in a diversified portfolio. That's interesting. Thanks, Michael. Um, and Mike mentioned uh, the case study uh, in, 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 his, in his discussion, and I just want to fill people in. Uh, the paper we wrote last year uh, on climate change 
uh, climate change analysis and the investment process. We asked for, uh, we partnered with 10 firms around the world uh, to do 10 different case studies, trying to tackle climate from a different angle. Uh, and Michael's firm, uh, Carbon Kappa, did one of those case studies. So uh, if you want a, a good primer on this, you know, you can listen to this podcast, but that's also a great, res a great resource. You talked a little bit about carbon markets and, and how they exist, and China just started one. Uh, and people probably know a lot uh, or a little at least about the, the European cap and trade market. Could you give us a look at what are the different climate mark or, or excuse, excuse me, carbon markets around the world? How are they functioning? Uh, what's the size of them in total? How are they growing? Where are they expected to go? Sure. Well, that, that, that's a that's a mouthful, a lot to cover. <laughs> but um, but but, you know, maybe maybe the key, the key highlights, um, a, as I said, um, a compliance carbon market has these, these overarching objectives of capping and lowering emissions, but doing so at the lowest cost of society. And that is done through um, issuing in each market um, a fixed and then declining number of a car carbon allowance certificates to those underlying entities. So that, that, that ticks the box. It gives us that environmental certainty because we know there's less permits every year, typically dropping by between two and 4% a year, the supply of carbon. We know that emissions must also follow that pathway. What we don't know is, is which companies within the ecosystem will, will choose to lower their emissions. And that's where the invisible hand of the market really helps us out in, in allocating those uh, carbon allowances to the companies in such a way that we have confidence in, in lowest cost abatement, as we call it, or, or that the company with the cheapest cost to stop emitting, indeed, they, choo they choose to do so. so Around the world, of course, the, you know, the, the starting point of this was the sulfur dioxide emissions in the United States under the Bush administration in That's the right, 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was hugely successful. Uh, emissions were halved in a very short period of time at very minimal cost. I mean, I, by some estimates, uh, up to 120th of the cost to administer the program to get those kind of emission reductions. And off the back of that success, the European Union launched their carbon market um, covering about 1.5 billion tons of annual emissions. And since the market came in in 2005, emissions in Europe are down 1 billion metric tons. Now, not all of that reduction is, is from the carbon market. Uh, there have been regulation, uh, gas, <laughs> gas and coal prices, a lot of factors in there. Yeah. But, but certainly having a carbon price um, has been a major factor. And particularly the last three years, as the European carbon price has risen, this has made coal, um, coal versus gas for electricity production, it has really knocked coal out of profitability because right. the same thermal output from coal um, and gas, coal emits twice the CO2. So therefore, if you have to pay the price of carbon, coal becomes uneconomic. So this is a, a really good example. And it probably about 300 million tons of annual emissions have been knocked out simply because of the carbon price in Europe. Um, in the US, um, unfortunately, there was a failure to get a national carbon market launched under the uh, Waxman-Markey bill, but there are two regional markets. The California uh, carbon market is linked with Quebec in Canada. And interestingly, Matt, uh, Washington just recently passed legislation to join the California market. On the, on the east coast of the US, there's another carbon market called the REGI, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, and that market consists of 11 states currently, um, with, uh, with Pennsylvania hopefully joining the market this year to increase it to 12, 
and um, with Virginia having just joined this year and last year New Jersey joined. So these markets are all growing, which is very, very nice to see. There's, there's more markets around the world. Korea has a, has a well-established carbon market since 2015. New Zealand has a market. We're just about to onboard the New Zealand market into our uh, World Carbon Fund. And, and there's about a dozen more countries around the world that are now actively looking at launching carbon markets. So if we're trading one to two billion in the asset class today, probably with, especially with China coming on, we see this as being you know, five to 10 billion daily traded value. And um, just yesterday at a, at a big commodity conference, it, um, many of the experts were saying that they felt carbon could become uh, more heavily traded than, than oil. Well, interesting. Well, let's let's end up on you know something you touched on uh, in your, in your discussion just then about regulation. Uh, you know, regulation has been uh, has kind of Europe has kind of led the way on regulation around climate, uh, and also in some of the taxonomy that's going on about integrating you know climate and other issues into the investment process. What do you see from where you sit about regulation in Europe, in the U.S., elsewhere? And how that can or can or is or isn't driving, uh, you know, the markets that that get us to the the, the invisible hand of, of the markets driving, uh, setting the incentives for 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 carbon use. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think you know we all recognize if we can harness the power of the invisible hand to address these externalities like climate change, but also some of the social inequities and, and others, then we can, we can really move the needle at scale. And, and that's really what it's about, I think, is can we do something at scale? And that's where a carbon market covering billions of tons can really move that needle. Um, coming to the other regulatory issues, I think as it certainly as it relates to climate change, we are at a crucial point. We have about eight years of run rate emissions until we breach the 1.5 degree threshold. And a lot of nasty things happen as we continue. One of the main ones being the earth itself moves from being a net carbon sequestration to a net emitter of carbon through nat the natural biosphere. And we do not want to push the planet in that direction. And therefore, we've, we, we're really trying to solve this equation with a limited amount of time, and we need to get emissions down very quickly. So all regulation, coming back to your point, um, we have to pull on every policy lever that we have at our disposal. And carbon markets are, are the cornerstone of European climate policy, but by, mo by no means are they the only policies that are being enacted. And it's wonderful to see you know, the, um, the new policies around ESG and let's call it liquid impact investing that will hopefully really encourage capital flows to address um, more than simply the financial side of investing. Thanks, Mike. That's great. I want to end, uh, our, our listeners may get tired of me saying this, but I want to end by giving them homework at the end of each, uh, each of these podcasts. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I want to ask you what you're reading uh, and what they, they can read uh, more on this topic, although it doesn't have to be. You know, if, you're, if you're in the middle of war and peace, you know, that's fine. Tell us, tell us about that and how that's going for you. Uh, but on this topic, something that... Uh, and my research on the report we did last year, I came across uh, that I think is a great primer for, for carbon markets and carbon pricing is uh, the report of the High Level Commission on Carbon Prices from 2017. And that's exactly, you know, just Google it. That's exactly what it is. It's from the Carbon Price Leadership Coalition, uh, Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition, excuse me, 
Uh, and authors are authors are Stieglitz and Stern, so uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find. It's not it's not too daunting of a task, uh, but that would be my recommendation. So so what what homework do you want to give our listeners to read? Yeah, and given that the listeners are um, you know um, perhaps more uh, financially attuned uh, listeners, um, you know I've read more than thirty two books now on, on climate change and and a couple hundred uh, empirical academic papers, but the book I'm reading now is fascinating. Um, it's called Beyond Growth by Herman Daly, and this this book is 25 years old now, um, and his um, his take on the economics of sustainable growth really he's the father of this entire movement. And uh, I find the book fascinating. There are some quite technical elements as in, in the book regarding uh, economic economics and economic policy, but but the basic premise is powerful. And I think uh, really he was far ahead of his time. I'd highly recommend it. Beyond Growth, Herman Daly. That's great, Mike. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Wonderful to be here. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.